scripture is difficult yeah and god does have a design and a purpose for his creation and are we willing to align ourselves with it to the best of our ability humbly and faithfully or not that's the question Hey, hey, welcome to the Live Like It's True podcast, where we talk through some of the most astonishing stories in the Bible and how to live like those stories are true. I'm your host, Shannon Popkin, and my hope is that these conversations will inspire you to better know the story, share the story, and live the story. Well, we have spent season four working through Genesis 1 through 3 and talking about how this true story of the beginning corrects some of the false narratives in the world. And so today we're going to be looking at relationship between husband and wife, and then we're also going to get to Christ in the church. And the the topic we're talking about is complementarianism. So we'll define that here in just a minute. But before I do that, I want to welcome my guest, Brian Robinson. Brian, it's so great to have you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I look forward to this conversation. Me too. So Brian is uh, a seminary student at the Institute of Public Theology. He's one of the elders at my church, Crossroads Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, he's a husband to Grace and a father to three of the most adorable little boys that you'll ever meet. <laughs> How old are the boys, Brian? Four, six, and eight. Okay. I like it that you started at the bottom and, you know, went up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Most people start at the top, <laughs> four, six, and eight. They are great kids. And so Brian's also the leader of the house church that my husband, Ken, and I are part of. And I always love interacting with you about the Bible, Brian. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a joy having you and Ken be part of the house church um, ever since you've joined. We've only been there for about a year. And I, I remember one of the things that we were looking for is we wanted a community of believers who were really invested in being discipled, discipling each other, you know, like following the Lord together and and really having that center on the word. And I set the bar pretty high. <laughs> and um, Ken kind of thought that what I was hoping for didn't exist. And then after we visited your group, he was like, well, I guess I'm wrong. It does exist. <laughs> that's, that's a really cool part of your story there. And, yeah, you know, I actually think about that's a good spot to kind of as we enter into this conversation today about complementarianism, I think that the house church sets a good foundation for that because it's like there is a great context to have difficult conversations. Yeah. And that's in community with other believers. Absolutely. And I mean, I've only been part of the house church for, I don't know, like a year now, and we have had a lot of those <laughs> difficult conversations within the context of a year. I just love that. So so that's kind of what we want this episode to feel like, is you're just pulling up a chair with us. Our listeners are just listening in while we talk about this and talk about what the Bible has to say about these roles of men and women. Um, and I like it that I have a man, because sometimes it feels like us women, we're just ganging up on the men or vice versa. But no, like we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we can have this conversation and talk about, well, how do we live this out in our marriages and in the church? So I'm going to say, first of all, we're not going to talk a lot about the history of complementarianism. Like it's a relatively new term, just within the last 30 or so years is when that that term was adopted. But we are, we're going to look at the story in the Bible where I think this idea is formed. Um, And so our conversation is really going to be like, how does complementarianism flow out of this text that we, uh, and live like it's true, we've just spent several months looking at this part, this very important part of the Bible. Um, And we do know that 
other faithful Christians disagree with us on on this topic, but that that's okay. We're just going to talk about okay, why would somebody <laughs> believe this? Like, why would this idea flow out of the text? So can you start us out just by defining what is complementarianism? Yeah, first just acknowledging that this is sort of one of these big, big words. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be something that's intimidating. Uh, it's a very simple idea. The idea is that uh, men and women have been created with equal value and um, that by God's design, we have different roles within mm-hmm. the church. Yep. And um in marriage. And in marriage. Yep. In marriage. Absolutely. And yep. um and then by contrast, uh the contrast to complementarianism would be uh egalitarianism. Mm-hmm. And so that idea is it also says equal value. Mm-hmm. Um but but it says that there's no distinction between roles. Right. And so there becomes a place of debate. And um, I think that the place where we try to settle debates inside the body of Christ should be um, over the Word of God. Absolutely. And so we meet there um, humbly and sincerely, and um, we go to the Scriptures and we, we talk. Yep. Uh, hopefully civilly. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and and that's what we're doing here. Yep, absolutely. And so I just want to point out too, one way that we approach a little bit differently here on Live Like It's True is we put a lot of emphasis on story. And that's kind of unique as Western thinkers. We don't, in the West, we don't often put the most emphasis on stories. Our Bibles are written originally for people from the Middle East, like their language. It was their culture. So we as Western thinkers, we have to do a little bit more work to look at the Bible the way that they would have. And they really hold high this idea of story and metaphor. And so we just have to keep that in mind, I think, as we approach, because I could imagine that somebody could listen in on this conversation and say, you know, you are pulling a lot out of those little details um, of this story of the origin story of man and woman. Like you're really putting a lot of emphasis, but it's a fair way to read the text. So like, why did, why did God tell the story this way? How does the story, how should it shape our understanding? That's maybe how you know, I feel like what God has called me to for this podcast. The Bible is a true story. It's a true unfolding story. And God meant for us to look into this story and find our purpose, find our place, find our meaning. Yeah. I, one of the questions that's shaped my life is, uh, do you believe the story is true? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where we begin. And so, you know, if we look at scripture and we think it is a fabrication of someone's yeah. imagination or yeah. it's it's a fairy tale mm-hmm. that's going to shape a lot about how we interact in the world and mm-hmm. what we think about God and other yeah. people. And so, you know, you and I we come to the text um believing that it is the truth. Yep. And so that's where we are and and that's where we speak out of. Yep. Absolutely. So like I said, we've already spent a lot of time. We're not going to be able to do a deep dive into Genesis 2 and 3. What we're doing, though, Brian, is I just want to go back and reflect on all of these conversations that we've had on Genesis 1 through 3 and ask, like, why would somebody come to the conclusion that men and women are different? Like, what are the clues that are tucked into this story and how it unfolds? Yeah, I think... For me, it begins in Genesis 1. So Genesis 1, see that as more like the high-level overview. Mm-hmm. Genesis 2, we're zooming in. Yep. 
Okay, so Genesis 1, the value comes from let us make man in our image after our likeness. Mm -hmm. And so there's value. I'm looking at Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And if you were here for the episode that Kelly Needham and I did on this text, I won't rehash all of the things that she said, but we are created male and female. Something about that tells us how we are created in God's image. I said, you've got your dad's eyes. You've got your mom's hands. You've got God's fill in the blank. Hmm. And what we have here is male and female. So something about these distinctions tell us about God. So that's really important. Um, but I, you know, I really see some differences emerging in Genesis 2. So he created Adam out of the dust of the ground, and then he created Eve out of Adam's rib. So yeah. these creation stories are distinct, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the truth. And, and not only that, but then the order. Yeah. is Adam was created That's first. That's true, yeah. And uh, again, I think that we're going to see that there is a significance to that mm-hmm. um, that Paul actually does point to in First Timothy chapter 2. Yeah, well, why don't you just go there, if you don't mind? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so, so we are now very quickly jumping into the deep end of the pool. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let's just flip over to First Timothy 2, verses 11 through 15. We're actually going to see... Uh, Some difficult words, okay? So let's just read Scripture and let Scripture speak for itself. Mm -hmm. So Paul's the author here, and he says, uh, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Arguably some of the least preached verses in the whole Bible. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Nobody wants to go there, but Brian does. I yeah. love it. <laughs> I would agree with that. So I, I do. I go there. Well, here's the thing. I go there humbly. Yeah. Um, and again, and, and notice that I, I kind of preface that with let's let the word of God speak for itself. Yeah. Okay. And so we don't need to apologize for what God's word says. Right. Uh, we don't need to add to it or subtract from it. Mm-hmm. And so here we are, we've let the word speak. And um, I think what we're really dealing with here when we talk about complementarianism versus egalitarianism, we're talking about an issue of interpretation. Mm-hmm. Okay, so remember on both sides, we're talking about agreeing over equal worth, equal value made in God's image. Mm -hmm. And so the distinction is not over that. It's about roles. And here, this is where we really come down specifically to the Apostle Paul is drawing some boundary lines Mm -hmm. around roles, specifically within the church and around this idea of preaching and teaching the word of God. Yeah. Timothy is offering guidance for churches, not marriages, you know, so that's a little different. And and we're going to segue to church later, Mm -hmm. but I think it's really interesting here. You're saying like Timothy is quoting or he's, he's calling attention. Verse 13, Adam was formed first, then Eve. So it does have bearing. He notices it has bearing. So that is an important detail that he was created first. I think it's also interesting that at, um, that Eve was created as a helper fit for Adam, not the other way around, right? And so she is 
again, equal in value, but there's something about the way that she is created. You know, she is fit for him. Um, she is relational. And so that is, there's some distinction there. And I know people really want to argue, like, there is no difference between men and women. <laughs> I just had a whole uh, argument, not argument, but an interchange with somebody on social media recently, because I was just calling attention to the way that my husband and I are cre- we're different and it's by design. And so if I try to like go into our marriage, always arguing, you know, well, you're doing that differently. What if I backed up and understood, well, he was created different than me. You know, it just helps me to be an understanding wife. That's kind of the truth that I was holding up on social media. And this person just really did not want there to be noted that there are any dis- differences because I think if there are differences, then automatically people jump to there's distinct or differences in value. That's just not the case. Yeah, you know, I did have a quick thought just as, as you were speaking, and it made me just think of my background in team sports. Okay. You're a basketball player, right? Yeah. So, I, yeah, I played college, play, play college basketball. Well, golf, golf would be more of an individual sport, I, right, although I true. do play yeah. a little bit <laughs> now. But, but in the context of like a team sport like basketball or soccer or mm-hmm. volleyball, um, the idea of having – equal value in different roles Mm. is a very natural thing. Yeah. Right. So uh, I played shooting guard and point guard in college. Sure. Whereas, you know, if I've got my forward or my center, um, we both have the same value on that team. Absolutely. But we have a very different role to play. And if I, if I resist my role in the context of that team as the shooting guard and I say, hey, I need to get down on the block and I want, to, I want you guys feeding me the ball in the low post. Yeah. But there's already somebody down there. I don't it's even know what create, you're talking about. Oh, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm not like I know, but okay, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry. But, somebody will know what you're talking about, just not me. Somebody will definitely know what I'm talking about. But it is, there, there is kind of a, you know, a know your role, play your position thing. And sure. it, it goes to the design of the game. Right. It's not about value. It's about roles. And mm-hmm. so if we do, if we trust that God has designed uh, man and woman, if God has designed his creation and he has ordered it, yeah. uh, and we trust that he is good, uh, then perhaps we can actually trust that we do have different roles to play in order for his design to fulfill the purposes for which he's designed it. That's such a great point. That's probably where we should have started is God is good yeah, <laughs> and right. his intention is so good in these in this design. And yet he created us different. You know, you're talking basketball. I particularly noticed this. I had a swimmer and I had a football player. So in those roles, like, well, Actually, I, I don't know that swimming, they did all kind of look alike. They were all tall and thin, <laughs> the, the swimmer girls. Some of them were shorter. But football, I mean, their sizes were – it was very obvious who the linemen were, you know. And right. um, they loved the, the way that – like their coaches lo- – my son was a lineman. And he loved it when he came back after summer break and he's all bulked up. You know, he's been lifting weights and eating healthy and just putting on pounds over the summer. Like that was a good thing. Whereas a running back wouldn't have been so great if you packed on some pounds. So like, yeah, they're different. Their roles are different. And that is by design. And so like if we were all, I I always say, if we were uniform, well, why would there be any need for unity? Right? Mm -hmm. So uniformity is not God's ideal for the church and and not in marriage either. God created these distinct roles for a purpose. So and then, you know, one more thing that I notice here, Brian, is God created 
Adam first and then Eve. And then notice that the serpent, though, approaches Eve and not Adam. I think that's an interesting detail in the story. So, uh, you know, we're talking male headship, not a popular word right now. (laughs) But I think, you know, if God created the man in the marriage to be the spiritual leader, like that's where we get that idea is he created Adam first, gave him the, the spiritual law about this tree. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This is a spiritual matter. It's not just fruit. You know, this fruit has a lot of spiritual implication. Um, God gives that instruction to Adam before Eve is even created. But then when the serpent comes on the scene in Genesis 3, the serpent approaches Eve and not Adam. So like, you know, whatever, whatever God has ordered, the enemy is going to want to disorder. Yeah, that's good. Um, But specifically, you know, the serpent came to Eve and and asking the question, okay, well, where was Adam? But then we read that, you know, Adam was with her. She gave someone to the man who was with her. Yeah. And, um, but then again, back to 1 Timothy 2, Paul makes it explicit that it was Eve who was deceived. Right. Yeah. I'm going to read that verse once again. It's um, 1 Timothy 2. 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. I mean, he was not deceived. Right. Like that just reads a whole lot of interpretation into this text, like Mm -hmm. that he would stand there passively while she's going to make this huge spiritual decision for her family. I wonder, I mean, okay, how strictly are we to take that who was with her? Hmm. Was he in the vicinity with her? Was he literally standing next to Eve? Uh, questions I don't know the answer to. Sure. So I, I think that I think that's where First Timothy two becomes uh, important, mm-hmm. is because you know here we have God breathed scripture, yes. authoritative and inerrant, and we get a commentary on that garden scene. Right. That that kind of does make us scratch our head. Brian, when I was a little girl, there were these bushes in our backyard that had those red berries that you weren't... Did you ever... Were you ever told by your parents, don't eat those red berries? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Okay. Berries in the forest in general or wherever. They were so pretty. (laughs) They almost looked like candy, bright red berries. And as a little kid, like you, I just remember looking at those berries and thinking, oh, I would really like to pop one of those in my mouth. You know, like (laughs) I just would like that. And no, I was not allowed to eat it. Well, let's just say that my sister, my little sister goes over and starts eating those red berries. She eats them. My mom comes out and like, what? She, You let her eat those berries? Like, I'm the one who was told. My sister was not told. She's younger than me. And what if I if I said, well, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't sure if it was really going to hurt her. I wasn't sure if I trusted your words. You know, I mean, I, I feel like that kind of imposes some of the questions weighing, like, Adam was at fault here. Eve was deceived. But Adam, he, he should have done something. Yes? Yeah, that, that's really good. I, it makes me think of maybe the principle is that, you know, where there is knowledge, there's also responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so it's like Adam had direct knowledge given to him, and it, you know, it was in the form of a command. Mm-hmm. And therefore, he became responsible right. for what was happening under his, um, under his care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So whether or not he was right there, First Timothy tells us that he was not deceived, and he didn't... He didn't lead. So we've got all of these different little details. Did I miss any, Brian? Like, oh, one that we did forget is he named Eve. 
you know? So in the same way that parents name their children, you know, Adam would be the leader because he named Eve. But so he's created first. She's created fit for him. He is given the command about the tree and then she eats. He does nothing. God holds him accountable first. Like all of these details, the natural conclusion is that there are distinctions between male and female. It's helpful for me sometimes. I think, how would it change things if it was different? You know, like what difference would it make if God created Adam and Eve both out of the ground? Or if he, you know, he gave them both the assignment about the tree at the same time. Or he called, like when he came in the ar- in the garden, Adam and Eve, you know? <laughs> or what if he made their bodies the same? Like, like if that, if his goal was to prove that they were, there were no distinctions, he wouldn't write the story the way that he did. If he wanted the story to tell that there were no distinctions in roles. Well, he sure did put a lot of confusing things in this story, you know? And so I think it's helpful to just think about the text. What what would he say if his point was to get rid of all distinctions? Do I like those distinctions? No. <laughs> I confess, I do not like those distinctions. So I think that here's a thought that could be helpful. Sure. How much can we extrapolate strictly from the first three chapters of Genesis? So I it's think just the beginning of the story. It's just the beginning yeah. of the story, yeah. right? And so it's like because I can I can already hear it. You know, someone says, "Wait a minute, how in the world are you getting all of that from <laughs> <Right>. this?" Right? <laughs> yep. And th- this is an important principle to understand because we I I, I see I see hints. Mm-hmm. That's what we see here in Genesis and so with, with when it comes to really the differences in roles. We do. We see distinctions, as mm-hmm. you've rightly pointed out. Yeah. But we see those distinctions um clarified later on. And so what we actually see in scripture is we see that God acts first mm-hmm. and then God speaks about what he's done yeah, and he gives meaning to what he's done by what he says about it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what actually happens in the garden. So think about it. God created uh, the heavens and the earth, right? Six days of creation and then God rested. Adam and Eve did not have Genesis to read. Right. <laughs> Adam's not the author of Genesis. No. Neither is Eve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Moses is the author of Genesis. Yeah. So how long did it take before this written word existed? Yeah. So there's the point. So so there was a generations of people were created and living on the earth, mm-hmm. fulfilling the the creation mandate. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yet they didn't necessarily know the meaning behind everything sure okay like we do and we do because god spoke through his revelation and now we have the written word right and then we see the same pattern play itself out again in christ right right so think of the disciples um they're coming to faith following jesus thinking that he is going to become um, a military leader, you know, son of David, savior, king in the line of David, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And then he's crucified and he's raised from the dead. And then the spirit is given in Acts. And then now they start writing about That's it. That's when the understanding comes Exactly. Right? And yeah. there's where yeah. the understanding comes yeah. from. So mm-hmm. again, God acted in history. And then God speaks, and, it, and that speaking looks back upon the act and gives mm. it the significance. That's it good. gives it its meaning. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I think the greatest example of that is in the Exodus, the people, 
like the Israelites, I mean, they're just escaping from Pharaoh. Like, and we look back at that, like, that's a metaphor for escaping from sin. And, right. you know, and it's true. Yep. The New Testament authors do reflect back on the Exodus. Like the whole story of the children of Israel were meant to look at their lives, both as literal, but also figuratively, like metaphor for our spiritual journey. So it, it's not wrong for us to look back on these stories, but I do think the whole counsel of God helps us to yes. go back and determine, like, where do we put the weight? Yeah, and it, it, we interpret those in light of the meaning that he gave it is how we're going to interpret it okay. and how we ought to. Yes. Because, yep. because, again, he acts and then he gives meaning to what he acts by what he says. Yeah. I, I uh, was reading Revelation recently and I was like, oh, I think I understand what this is, you know, what this imagery is. And then I come to this verse and it explains like, well, this is what this means. I'm like, oh, I had it all wrong. <laughs> so let's let scripture have the highest authority, right? The highest yeah. voice on how we interpret scripture. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. A long held principle is that scripture interprets scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um, I think part of the reason that people do not want to say that there's a distinction in roles is there's some wrong teaching out there. There's some wrong ideas. Like, for instance, this one I've heard, if I submit, he won't hit. Hmm. Have you ever heard that saying? Like, the woman is told, just submit, just submit, because there we have verses that say that wives are to submit to their husband. If if she submits, he won't hit. The idea is like, we're just supposed to simply trust God with all the marriage problems and they'll go away. You know, this is, you know, talk about the deep end of the pool. Right. There's a lot here. We're talking about violence, mm-hmm. you know, which is a kind of betrayal in its own between a husband and a wife. Yeah. And there's there's there has been some bad teaching in the past and and misunderstanding here. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to also be very careful about taking something like you know if I submit he won't hit this idea, which which represents uh, it most likely one of the extremes. Yeah. Right. Because we love to go to the extremes in all things, yeah. whether we're talking about you know um, same sex attraction or whether we're talking about abortion, Mm -hmm. you know, we tend to go right all the way to these Mm -hmm. extremes. And then we say, now what about that? Mm -hmm. But I think that the call in, in a marriage is to live faithfully and to trust God who judges justly. Now, this is going to be a difficult word. Jesus, I, this comes directly from first Peter chapter two, because, and, and this is going to come right into marriage here, so I'm bringing us there. But okay. I, before we get to a man and a woman, I want to go to Christ. First Peter chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. About Jesus, Peter is writing, and he says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Okay. And then now Peter finishes up, you know, what to us is chapter two. And then look at this. In chapter three, we begin with, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, Mm -hmm. so they're not, they're not laying their lives down. Even if some aren't loving you like Christ has loved the church, uh, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So, oh, please don't hear me say to condone abuse. Right. Uh, please, please I, ho- I hope nobody would ever hear me say that. No. But I'm also recognizing that 
we are living in a time when words are being redefined. Yeah. Like the word abuse. Like the word abuse. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so no one in their right mind is saying that a woman should 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 allow herself to be abused. Yeah. Like maybe maybe we can start there because okay. this is a conversation that can have a lot of yeah. confusion. So if a woman is listening and your husband is behaving in a way, this is what I always say to women, if your husband is behaving in a way that you could call 911 and there would be a, a police car that would come to mm. your home and arrest him, then you should call 911 mm. and there should be a police car that comes to your home and he should yeah. be arrested. Yeah. Like this... Nobody is saying that Christians don't hold each other accountable. That's right. Um, and that's whether we're in marriage or in the church. And we know that both of those places, there has been a lot of abuse that has taken place. Um, but this idea, I'm going to, and I'm going to circle back to your thoughts on First uh, Peter here in a second. But mm-hmm. this idea, if I submit, he won't hit. Mm-hmm. That's just wrong in that it's holding the wife mm-hmm. to the standard of the Bible, but not the husband. Mm. If he hits, he is wrong. <laughs> and um, yeah. and she cannot make everything right just by holding up her side of the marriage. Mm. And so like, I think any time that one marriage partner or one church member or somebody wants for the Bible to be applied by everybody else, but not them, mm. that's the whole definition of abuse. Like, that's why people come to this passage and say, well, Christianity or a complementarian perspective in particular is just ripe for abuse. Because if the wife is always being told her role is distinctive and she has to submit, well, then, of course, the man in his sinful flesh is going to just take advantage of that and abuse her. But I think what has been lost is, no, submission in marriage, it can be a beautiful thing, right? Which First Peter points us to. It is a beautiful thing. It's without question a beautiful thing because it is what God has designed. And, and it's Jesus? Yeah. I mean, that's our best, most beautiful picture of submission. That's right. You just read us those verses. Jesus, he, him, uh, see, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judge, judges justly. Him, that's God. Jesus entrusted himself to God. He submitted himself to God, even in the face of injustice. Um, I hope it's obvious to most people what, you know, by now mm-hmm. that has maybe corrected anything that anyone has misunderstood from Scripture. Um, but that being said, if you if you will allow me to pull off of that extreme. Sure. And if we just pull off of that extreme, we yeah. can actually see Scripture for what it is saying here. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is again, it's rightly ordering the relationship between a husband and wife. And, and so this kind of puts us back into the garden. Mm-hmm. God created Adam first. God then created Eve out of Adam's side. And here we have Peter saying, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And so, uh, and, and, and we even see that part of that purpose there is that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be one uh, without a word by the conduct of their wives. Yeah, they as husbands, mm-hmm. even husbands who don't, because I'll often have women come to me and say, am I supposed to submit to a husband who doesn't even believe the Bible? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the answer is a very hard, but yes, affirm yes, right. because of First Peter 3. That's right. Um, that even if he doesn't believe the word, he can be one 
without a word. Now that's hard for me as a wife because I want to use words, (laughs) but this verse is calling me to a higher power than my own, right? That is, that's exactly what it is. This is a, it's a difficult text and, um, it's calling a woman to faithfulness and, um, well, and, and, and trust faith. I was going to say faith. faith. Yes. Yeah. Faith and faithfulness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, uh, that God does have the power to redeem. Yeah. Um, and trusting that, that this is the means by which he wants to use to redeem an unbelieving husband. Yeah. But I just want to call attention again. Women are not the only ones with commands here. That's right. Women, and, and let's just, let's, keep the conversation to marriage. We're going to segue to the church here in just a second. Okay. But but in marriage, yes, wife, you're supposed to submit, but husbands, you're supposed to love your wives yeah. as Christ loved the church. You're supposed to lay your life down for her, you know? And so let's say a husband is not laying his life down for his wife. He is selfish. He is rude. Whether he's a believer or not, because even believers can be husbands who are not godly husbands. So you know, then a wife has the question and, and now we're setting abuse aside. Right. He's behaving in a way that you could call the cops, but they would just be like, okay, lady, stop calling us. <laughs> you know, he's, he's eating all the ice cream or he's, you know, he's whatever. He's just being selfish. He's being rude. And then there's a vote and it's one-to-one. He wants one thing. She wants another. And she's supposed to submit. Hmm. Like, you're kidding me. Hmm. That's hard. That's a hard truth. Hmm. Um, but I can say from exa- from experience that when I do choose to not entrust myself to my husband, but to my father in heaven mm-hmm. who judges justly, when I will live as with Christ as my example, this breathes life into my marriage. It breathes life into my home. It breathes life into my own heart. Like even when my husband's wrong, you know, yeah. e- to submit in marriage, even when he's wrong. Hmm. Like, here's an example, okay? So one time, my husband took our son, Cade, to shop for shoes. I had asked him to because, like, I was I was short on time. So I said, he needs running shoes for this running program at school. Could you just take him? And so they go to buy shoes. They come back. And he bought, like, Cade was really into bright colors at the time. <laughs> he bought the coolest looking shoes. They were bright colored. They were expensive. But they were going to last about three weeks. And I'm like, He's like 180 pounds. Like these shoes are, they're not going to hold up. And so I said, nope, they got to go back. They got to, you got to take them back. So my husband was like, I don't even know why I took him. Cause I knew, I knew when we bought these shoes, you were going to tell me to take them back. I knew it. I'm like, okay, so you're saying you want him to keep the shoes. And he's like, yeah, I just took the time to, <laughs> I paid good money for those shoes. He <laughs> likes the shoes. So here I have a decision as a wife. It's a one-to-one vote. (laughs) I think the shoes should go back. My husband thinks that they're just fine. So what am I going to do? So the next morning, I remember um, making breakfast for Cade. And the shoes are on the counter, ready to go back. (laughs) And and I see him, like, open the box and look at these shoes. And he's just like, oh, they're the coolest shoes, Mom. Please. And I mean, everything in me, Brian, is fighting, is wrestling. Because, like, I know these shoes are going to fall apart. And this is going to be a big waste of money. I know it. And so finally, I just decided, you know what? God calls me to submit to the authority of my husband. Uh, Even on silly stuff like shoes. He wanted our son to have these shoes. 
And so I told my son, okay, yeah, daddy says you want, you can have them. You can have them. And he just, I saw in my son's face, this look of like, really much like he knew how hard it was for me and it's ridiculous how hard it was for me like as a wife like I don't want to concede on even the smallest thing like a pair of shoes I don't want to concede on any of it but it's good for my son to see his mom like playing out this role that God has given me not only for for his sake but for my sake too like I found all this freedom Brian in this decision like I didn't have to make these shoes last I didn't have to be you know good with the money or whatever I can just say okay daddy bought you the shoes they're your shoes and I don't even remember if the shoes lasted or whatever like I think the (laughs) the point was me like me choosing to live by God's design for me and for my marriage. Yeah. I like your story because it shows the beauty of faithful submission in the small things. And I think that where where the beauty of it is really shown is if we actually retell the story with a different type of response, perhaps, that sure. you could have mm-hmm. had, right? Yeah. So it's like, now Ken, you know, takes Kate out, buys the shoes. Yeah. And your response is like demanding and controlling and demeaning and demeaning mm-hmm. and insistent that you will have your way yeah. because um, because it, that, that's the way it's going to be. Right. Yeah, it, it's, I'm right. And you're wrong. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and yeah. it's sort of like that starts to draw out a little bit the dangers of, of, of like what that what's really going on here all of a sudden. It's small things become big things. Mm-hmm. You know, next thing you know, we're not talking about shoes, right? right? Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, we're talking about, well, maybe it's schools. Maybe it's where we worship. Yeah. Maybe it's whether we worship at all. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. just like, wait a minute, how did we get here? Yeah. It's because the, the order that God has created has been subverted. But I think that, you know, being a man, I can, I, I should at least speak to um, Ephesians chapter five. Please. The men do have a responsibility. Mm-hmm. And we saw that responsibility first put out because Adam was created first. And then we see here, we see the the command, and I think it's important that we can use these words. These are not fine suggestions. Mm-hmm. You know, these are not good ideas, although they are that. Yeah. This is a command to me as a man yeah. to love my wife and to lay my life down for her. And I'm not being asked to do something that Christ has not done. Christ has, first thing he has done is he has set aside his divine privileges. Yeah. That's the first thing. His place with the Father since before the creation, he, he left that. Okay, he entered into this world, and then he subjected himself to humanity, mm-hmm. to uh, ridicule, and to be being put to death by his own creation. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I I look at that as a man, and then now I am the beneficiary of His grace. Mm-hmm. I am the beneficiary of His mercies, and I have right. so I have to read that text as Christ la- loved the church and laid His life down for it. And I have to really think about: Do you understand what is being said about what Christ has done for me? Right, and that's now the call for me mm-hmm. is to lay my life down. That doesn't really leave a whole lot of place for a man to control a woman. Right. And to, to bark orders out and to say, serve me. Th- yeah. There's no room there yeah. for that. Right. The call is massive. Right. It is lay your life down as Christ laid his life down for the church. So you're calling me to, to die. Right. 
And I think what's beautiful in what you just said is we see Christ in the man laying his life down. That's what Jesus did. But we also see Christ in the woman submitting. Mm-hmm. Both reflect Jesus yeah. and, and the story that we're, that shapes our whole existence as Christians, right? So yeah. we're um, holding that story high when a man lays his life down for his wife, when he leads in the home, when he doesn't eat, let her eat the poison, you know, like uh, we're not talking about actual berries or actual fruit on a tree, but we're talking about like when the woman wants to take control for her family and decide everything from what shoes the kids will wear, you know, and like you mentioned other examples, like whether they'll worship, where they'll worship, when she wants to take control of all of those things, like there's a lot at risk. And if he just passively lets her and does nothing, like neither neither of those responses is helpful to the home. And, and a lot of my um, wrestling through my desire to control my husband and to not treat him as the leader in our home, that was really the impetus for my book, Control Girl. But what I notice is that my life does flourish when I embrace the fact that I am different from my husband. I I think we've put a lot of emphasis in our particular culture. Now, it would be different in other cultures, but we've put a lot of emphasis on holding men accountable. And I think it's because in the world there is a lot of hitting, right? There are a lot of abusive men in the home, in the church, in the government, everywhere. And in all the defense of women, I think we've chosen not to hold women accountable. Like, let's say a little boy hits his sister and, you know, he's wrong. Whether or not she provoked it, he is wrong. But if we find out she's been taunting him for two hours and then finally he caves in and hits her, well, then now we have some causality. And I think our culture wants to excuse the causality, excuse women who like bark orders right back, right? We want to excuse that in lifting up a higher view of a woman, right? In valuing the woman. But I want to say like in valuing men and women, uh, we have to hold both accountable. Mm-hmm. Both are accountable. Yeah, that's right. You know, when we talk about, you know, this this pattern of love and submission. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a pattern there. It's yeah. a cyclical pattern. Husbands love your wives, mm-hmm. right? This is the, the here's the beautiful thing about this. This pattern is a glorious thing. Mm-hmm. When I love Grace and I lay my life down for her, and I do, mm-hmm. and she submits to me, okay, by serving me, um, by helping me, by coming alongside of me, by yeah. strengthening me, she sharpens me. Like there is a joy that is created between the two of us. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a beautiful thing. And I, I think of, I think of a, a quote by J.I. Packer, and he was talking about uh, the role of the Trinity in redemption. Mm. And he said that it was the Father who purposed redemption, mm-hmm. and the Son secured it, mm-hmm. and the Spirit applies it. Mm. You know, so here you have kind of this idea again of love and submission. Mm-hmm. And this is the what we really see, and Jesus is always referring back to this in the Gospels. You know, like that I don't, I don't, I don't do. I only do. I only say yeah. what my Father gives me to do and say. Yeah, He is continually, really submitting Himself to the will of the Father. Yeah, right. Yep. And the Father, it, the Father continues to pour out His love. Right. You know, and and this is and and this becomes the pattern. Yeah. He's literally modeling this for us. And so it's it's as though marriage is inviting us into um into better reflecting uh God. 
Yeah. I find positive, compelling examples so much more helpful in this conversation, right? I think all, everybody wants to go to the negative examples. And if you can hear any uh, electric guitars in the background, <laughs> we are recording at our church, so we're just going to enjoy the music in the background. Uh, but anyway, I think everybody wants to go to the like the worst examples, like you said, the extremes and the, the most negative and say, well, this is why it, it doesn't work. You are enjoying a marriage that's aligning itself with a complementarian perspective. And so am I. And yeah. both of us have, I think, really happy. I mean, this what I know of your marriage yeah. and what I would say about our marriage is it is a very happy, healthy. We have raised three kids. We've been together for 26 years. And I wouldn't do it any. I can look back at the time that I cast off any, you know, ideas of submission. And those are the worst points in my marriage. The best is when I have chosen to align myself with this idea that our roles are distinct and that God has gifted my husband to lead our family in a way. And it might be something that I think I'm better at, <laughs> right? And maybe I am better at um, some area that I feel like more equipped to even make the decisions. But we vote. It's one-to-one. -one. Somebody has to, to submit to the other. And when I choose submission, when I choose to recognize that we have distinct roles, that God equipped him to be the leader, it breathes the most health and um, happiness into my marriage. Would you say the same? I would absolutely say the same. All right. So let's segue. Okay. Because so, we've been kind of blending as we've mm -hmm. talked. We've talked about the church and we've talked about marriage. And in our past episodes, I hope that you have caught the reason why. Um, so... Marriage is a metaphor. Marriage is real. Just like I, I think you might remember the episode where I talked about my wedding ring and how I threw my wedding ring down and how I was not just disrespecting this ring that has worth and value, but I was disrespecting my marriage. And we can see how the ring represents the marriage. And in the Bible, we learn like the big mystery Paul tells us is that marriage actually represents it's a metaphor for the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church. Um, and so how do we make this jump then between husbands and wives have distinctive roles to only men should preach in the church? <laughs> like why, how are those, why are those related? How are they related? Yeah. Um, we have toggled back and forth, mm -hmm. uh, but this is where the, the question really comes in is because scripture does speak to it. Right. Paul is very clear. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Okay. And then we also have First um, Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34. We may as well just read that as sure. well. Uh, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. Okay. So consistency. Paul is the author of both letters. Mm -hmm. Um so here's my thoughts on this. By the way, our church is a complementarian church. Yes. And you were on the elder board when they had to make some hard decisions about this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a non-denominational church mm -hmm. too. So this is um, the type of thing that we have to wrestle with, right? And so as, as a group of elders, you know, men, we get into the room, we open the word, uh, we pray, we debate, Mm -hmm. discuss, debate, prayerfully consider, attempt to persuade one another, mm -hmm. uh, wait patiently, gather additional counsel, mm -hmm. uh, repeat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 
is this apply to us today? I think that's what we're really getting to, right? That so that's is this is this did Paul really mean what it seems like he meant? Or that's part just, one. Was it just cultural? Yeah, or right. was it just cultural? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Did mm-hmm. that apply to them then, and it doesn't apply to us now? Right. And I think that that is the that's the charitable way of looking at this because we have to recognize that we have actual brothers and sisters in Christ who read this differently. Mm-hmm. Okay. We ought to, when we deal with things that are not of primary importance, uh, a secondary matter, if you will, we're mm-hmm. looking at here, um, we ought to look at the best version of the of the other side of the argument. Yeah. And so one way that you can approach things like this and other difficult things in Scripture mm-hmm. would be to actually say, well, how has the church answered this question mm. historically? Right. Okay? Yeah. Um, So Adam was formed first and then Eve, and then Adam was not deceived, but the woman deceived and was deceived and became a transgressor. So those are the verses. Those are the verses, Mm -hmm. exactly. So because what those verses really do is they state the reason for Paul's position. Okay. Okay. So first Paul says, because he makes a statement, you know, let, this is verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Mm -hmm. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And so it's like, boom, there's this, this then, really strong statement. And then there's the word for. So right. that's giving the the purpose or the, yeah, whatever is guiding his thinking. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So Paul has a reason behind his thinking, and it goes all the way back to the garden. Mm-hmm. It goes back, bef- you know, before it goes to the, the original creation, mm-hmm. day six. And it's like... It's like, whoa, wait a minute. God created Adam first. Mm -hmm. So there's something to do with order in Paul's mind that's arranging his thinking. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then it goes to the garden and the serpent and deception. And so so it's like, wow, what can we learn about that? What is Paul seeing here Mm -hmm. that actually makes him make the statement that a woman ought not to teach or preach authoritatively? Um and really, the, what we're looking at here, when Paul says exercise authority, he's talking about the idea of usurping authority, mm. uh, that being to take by force. Mm. So it's like, wait, wait a minute, what is happening oh, here? Wow. Yeah. There's a short parable by G.K. Chesterton that I think really applies to this entire conversation, women preaching and teaching authoritatively in the church. Mm-hmm. He envisions two two people walking down the road, and he says, now they find in the road a fence Right now, this fence is 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 symbolic of a law. This roadblock. Uh-huh. What are we gonna do? Well, so one of them just says to his friend, uh, "Hey, help me get rid of this." Right. So mm-hmm. you, I hope I hope everyone's kind of following along here. Yeah. We're talking about why shouldn't we just keep moving? Maybe that right. was for them then, and this is for this now. Right. Seems like it's irrelevant now. Yeah. Well, one of the the people who are standing there says, "I will not let you remove this fence. Not until you can go away." and think and tell me why it was put here. Mm. And then if if you do that, you might actually persuade me that it's right to remove the fence. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So the idea here is it's that we, we should not assume that because we, we, I think CS Lewis called this uh, something like chronological snobbery. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. Like we should not assume that because we are living, you know, a couple thousand years almost after Paul in the early church that we have the wisdom and we have the enlightenment and we have this thing figured out. 
A little um, bit, a little bit superiority complex there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, and, and so we, we, we need to be careful. Um, we need to understand why was this fence put here? Mm-hmm. And what does Paul say? And and what does Paul say? Exactly. So then first Timothy, first Timothy, he talks about Adam was formed first and then Eve and Adam was not deceived. Um, and so we have to spend some time with that. We have to understand what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know why? What is really happening there? Because it's it's very clearly a fence, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, it yep. is. Yeah, and and you know what? It's not the only one like it. There are many other fences. There are fences around marriage, mm-hmm. right? Gay marriage. There are fences around, uh, depending on how you read it. You know, remarriage after divorce. You know, again, we're just hitting on some very difficult things. But yeah. this is but this is the point of this conversation mm-hmm. is that scripture is difficult. Yeah. And God does have a design and a purpose for his creation. And are we willing to align ourselves with it to the best of our ability, mm-hmm. humbly and faithfully yep. or not? That's the question. That's so good. So how can we live like this story is true? Is there anything else you would add, like just as a wrap up? How can we live like Genesis 1 through 3 and all of the texts that point back to Genesis 1 through 3? How can we live like the story is true? You know, uh, you know how, how have I lived and how am I living like the story is true in this? My desire is, is before my desire is to be a godly husband. My, my desire is to be like Christ. Mm. So... You know, when I read scripture and I pray and I ask God to make me like his son, you know, and I ask him to sanctify me by his word and I ask his spirit to apply his word to my life. This is where it's at for everyone, whether you're a man or a woman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like this is we we are to be like Christ first. Mm-hmm. That then has implications for how I'm going to love my wife, my children. Mm-hmm. To me, that's how I live like the story is true. I take in all of scripture and I ask God to make me like his son. Mm-hmm. And then and then again, I ask myself the question, do you believe the story is true? Is scripture the authoritative word of God? Mm-hmm. If scripture is God's word, if it has authority in my life, and if it is perfect, inerrant, mm-hmm. okay, then, then I should really care a lot about what it says, yeah. right? Because I want to please God. That's the posture. That has to be, all of this has to be approached from that, from that posture. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and I think if we can approach each other, yeah, we want to approach the text and let the text shape who we are and how we live. But I think letting it, um, shape our relationships too. just think in marriage, um, if I can approach my husband knowing that God created him differently like God created Adam out of the dirt. He created Eve out of the rib from Adam. They were they have different beginning stories and there are differences baked into this whole creation story. That means my husband is different than me. Yeah. I just wrote an article on like he needs time to decompress after work, which doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> but what I see in the creation story is Adam was given a lot of instructions about work. And then in the curse, like work is what was affected. Like, you know, we see that he's going to toil with the thorns and all that. And so, 
okay, there's something about my husband and his relationship with his work that's different from me. And I just don't get it. I don't get it. Mm -hmm. And I remember when the kids were little, I would be so angry because he had to stop and decompress before he came home. I'm like, I need you here right now. And he still, he still does things just so different than me. And it can just create tension. But if I can approach him, like, okay, you're different than me. (laughs) We don't see things the same. We are not alike in so many different ways. It's just helpful. It's helpful for me. And I think maybe in the church too, if brothers and sisters can approach each other and just know like, okay, the way they do women's ministry, (laughs) like that's just different. Like men, I always say when I speak at MOPS groups, I always say like, if my husband were in charge, he would say, well, why do you even need, why, why do you need snacks for one? You don't really need small groups. Like we could just have a stand-up meeting and in 30 minutes we could be done. Let's get the information <laughs> and go, you know, but women enjoy relationships. And so I think if just in brother, sister kinds of ways, like if we could understand we're created different, we together as the church collectively, men and women collectively, we image God together in a way that like a church full of men or a church full of women it's not the same as together brothers and sisters we image god in a way um that that brings him glory apparently he likes it yeah i agree with you and um at home you know something you said kind of made me think of home you know relationship with grace my wife how, how can i live like the story is true there yeah i think that practically speaking if i can just give a little bit of practical yeah, please. <laughs> advice or counselor. I don't try to micromanage, right? And mm-hmm. I think this comes down to embracing God's design and that yeah, we're different. Right. So, you know, kind of really what you've been saying, you know, about Ken and like, wow, like he needs to decompress, <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. you know, after work. Um, I love to hear you say that you recognize that about him. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I think from the man's perspective, I'm sure Ken does the same thing for you. Yeah. And he could have, you know, ways that he does that. Mm-hmm. For me, you know, Grace wants to cultivate our home. Right. Yeah. And there are parts of that cultivation that we do together. Sure. Okay. You know, how are we going to um, raise the boys? You know, it's big decisions, things like that. But there are parts of that cultivation that I don't have any say over by choice. And it's yeah. not because I don't care. Right. Um, it, it's because I want her to flourish in that area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't, and it would not be right for me to try to impose my will on everything. Um, our grocery budget. Yeah. Okay. Grace tells me what she needs. And I say, Hey, go spend it. Right. Right. I don't say go spend it here. I don't go say spend it on these items and I forbid those items. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's like, no, go spend it. And then, and then I'm telling you as a man, I am a happy man when I smell onions and (laughs) mushrooms and steak on a cast iron skillet. Right. Like, it's just like, praise God for you. Right. You know, you are you are cultivating this home. You are making this a place that is mm-hmm. that is good. Yeah. And I want to see her flourish in that. And I, and I think going back to Ephesians chapter five, something that my eyes have been opening to the last uh, year or two only is that I, you know, Paul talks about this mystery and he talks about, you know, Christ presenting his church as a spotless bride. Mm, yeah. And I think about this. This excites me as a husband. The idea that I get to take part in Grace's sanctification and it, like, mm-hmm. there's a responsibility here that I want my wife to make it home safe. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, to the Lord, right? You know, yeah. And that I get to shepherd her in that way. Make it home is home in heaven, right? That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I and and so like all the ways that I can try mm-hmm. to do that yeah. is is by providing, is by protecting, mm-hmm. is by leading. Yeah. It's by loving, it's by serving mm-hmm. all these ways that I can really lead like Christ by example. Um, I, I'm, in, I'm, I'm all for it. I embrace it. That's great. I think Brian, a lot of wives listening would be like, Oh gosh, I would love to have a husband like that. You know, like I wish my husband had that sort of, like he wanted me to flourish. And I love that imagery of like, I want to get her home safely. I want her yeah. to flourish on the way home. Talk to the wife who doesn't have that husband yeah yeah i mean that it just gives me pause right away you know i just sort of i i sigh for anyone who doesn't have that right now yeah you know or so maybe someone whose marriage has actually ended the thought there uh that i would share the encouragement would be that christ is sufficient Mm. you know like he he really is enough that's the marriage that matters most it is it is that's exactly Mm -hmm. right and i it's the truth. And uh, if you've never experienced that, if you don't, if you think I'm just, you know, saying a, a Christian thing, mm-hmm. I would say, test me in that. Mm-hmm. Like, have you ever tested? Have you ever tested that? Mm-hmm. Is, is Christ enough? Mm-hmm. Has, have you ever met with him in his word and been fed by him and been comforted by him? Right. Have you met with him in the type of Christian community where your needs are looked after? relationally emotionally yeah. so uh, I would say don't give up yeah Brian this has been an amazing conversation I'm so grateful for you thank you so much for serving the church with your wisdom hey thanks a lot Jen this has been um, a blessing thanks for joining me for this true story of the beginning series I hope you'll take some time alone with God and with your Bible open to Genesis 1 through 3. Drink in the true story for yourself, this true story that you're in. Let it reframe your story with the truth. To help you work through this narrative, I've put some tools together for you in my free Live Like It's True workbook. The workbook is particularly designed to help you work through the narratives or the stories in the Bible. It'll help you sort through how the true story of Genesis 1 through 3 refutes the false narratives in the world. You can find a link for your free workbook in the show notes, along with links to some of the various other resources we've been mentioning and recommending. Many of these resources are actually written by our guests in this season, including Nancy Guthrie, Mary Cassian, Courtney Doctor, and more. Are you enjoying this podcast? If so, would you be willing to rate and review? This helps us widen our reach and helps us to serve others as they're able to find the show. Also, if you have questions or ideas for me, I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much to my producer, Maria Lyons, and my son, Cade Popkin, for providing all of the music that you hear here on the show. And thanks most of all to you for tuning in. It is my joy and privilege to serve you. And now it's time to go live like it's true.